Hashem, we thank you for your presence here. God, it is a, a privilege and a delight to honor and worship you, Lord, as we even declared in the, the Elenu today. And God, we do not take for granted your presence, as my son shared in his Devar Torah, that Moshe didn't want to go without your presence. And God, we want your presence in our lives and in this sanctuary. And God, we know that you have a word to speak to our hearts today. So we pray that we would have ears to hear what your Ruach is saying. Father, that the, the word that is coming forth would come forth under the unction and anointing of the Ruach HaKodesh that it would take root in the soil of our hearts. And God, I pray not for 30 or 70, but I pray for a hundredfold fruit in the lives of everyone in this congregation, in this congregation, and those listening by the podcast, uh, wherever they may be in the world, God, that you would bear, bring a hundredfold fruit in our lives as we hear and receive and apply this word. And we thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Today we are finishing our series on making a difference in the world. This is what we've looked at so far. Rabbi Michael began the series encouraging us that we are all called to make a difference in the world. We are transformed and changed not only for our own good, but to make an impact on the world around us. The second week we talked about how we can make a difference even in the midst of difficulty. The challenges of life cannot stop us from changing the world around us. And last week, Rabbi Michael spoke about making a difference even in failure, encouraging us that failure is not an excuse for sitting on the sidelines. And today's message entitled, Behavior That Makes a Difference, will help us, I believe, with the nuts and bolts of what it is going to take to truly make a difference, first of all, in our lives, in our homes, in our community, in our nation, and in the world around us. Who wants a change in your life personally? Okay, a few of you. Well, the rest of you didn't raise your hand. You need a change in your life. I'm just telling you, okay? Even if your life is good, you still need a change. Who wants to see a change in your homes? Who wants to see a change in your community? Who wants to see a change in this nation? Who wants to see a change in this world? Well, we are called to make a change and to make a difference in the world. When we read in the scriptures of the men and women who made a difference in their world, we can recognize certain behavior on their part that enabled them to impact their world. And it is this behavior that we want to practice in our daily lives so we can see the same results. Right now I'm reading through the book of Acts in my devotional time, and I'm challenged to see my life and this congregation, this community, change our world just like the first century followers of Yeshua changed their world. So let's look at what kind of behavior that is going to take. What does it look like? Number one, to believe in the God of the Bible. My question to you this morning is, who is the God that you believe in? I fear that many times we are believing in the God that we have created in our own minds. Often it's based on our circumstances and feelings. When things don't happen and we don't understand the why, and that's a big question, why God? And it's because we don't get an answer to that why, we often make the wrong conclusions about God in our lives. But friends, I want to encourage you this morning 
that we must put our trust in the God of the Bible as he has revealed himself. Not the God that we have created in our mind based on our feelings, based on our circumstances, or even based on the world around us and the atmosphere and the socially and politically around us that could make us define God in a certain way. The Talmudim in the first century and in the Tanakh throughout the, the scriptures, they believed in God as he revealed himself. And that is the challenge for you and me this morning and in this day and in, in this hour is to believe in God as he has revealed himself. First of all, he does not change. Turn to your neighbor and say, God does not change. Okay, say it with me like you really believe it. God does not change. That one truth in and of itself is enough to say, say la and let's go home. God does not change. But often we think God has changed. Why? Because, again, of our circumstances and our feelings, because we don't see certain things. Okay, God must be different today. No, God is the same. It says there in the book of Messianic Jews, Hebrews, chapter 13, 8, that Yeshua the Messiah is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, God declares, I, Adonai, do not, say that with me, do not change. God has not changed. He will never change. He is the same today as he was yesterday, as he was 2,000 years ago, as he was in the days of Abraham and in Moshe and Yosef and Daniel and all the people we read about in the Tanakh and in the New Covenant. He will be the same tomorrow and five years from now and 10 years from now and 100 years from now if he should tarry and not return. He will not change ever, ever, ever. That's important truth to grab hold of. Well, Rabbi Carol, but I don't see him revealing himself the same way I read in the Bible. Friends, the problem is not God. Just a little hint. It's not God because he has not changed. He is the same. And that's the God we need to believe in. Secondly, he is our healer. Turn to your neighbor and say, Adonai is our healer. Of course, if you were here earlier and you saw me coughing in the midst of the worship that I couldn't even come up to pray, you know, obviously Hasatan knows what I'm going to come up to speak on. And, of course, those who have been part of the congregation know that this respiratory thing has been going on for about 10 years. But God is a God who heals. Right, And even though the healing has not been fully manifested in my body, it doesn't change the fact that he is a God who heals. Thank you, Myrna. Anyone else want to say amen? amen? He is a God who heals. Even if my body hasn't received its full manifestation. Obviously, again, those who've been around know that where I am today is not where I was 10 years ago when I was huffing and puffing after just taking an inhaler and I could barely catch my breath as I was preaching. But my full healing has not yet come. But he is a God who heals. From the Tanakh through the New Covenant, Hashem reveals himself as Adonai Rapha. 
And many times we doubt this simply because we have not experienced it for ourselves or seen it. Yet wherever Yeshua went, he healed the sick. As I'm reading through the uh, book of Acts, this verse jumped out to me. Crowds also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And read that with me. Every one of them was healed. How many? Every one. That's how it was in the book of Acts. Friends, that's how it should be in our lives and in our community and in our world today. Is that true right now? No, it's not. But God has not changed. Say it with me. God has not changed. He healed every one of them. He wants to heal everyone today. He is a God who heals. He is a God who performs miracles. We sang it today, Atakadol. You are great and you do miracles. And, and this is the God that we serve and this is the God that we need to believe in. We can see it once again in the Tanakh and all the way through the, through the New Covenant. From the deliverance out of Mitzrayim, out of Egypt... It was surrounded by miracles from the ten plagues to the parting of the Red Sea. We are confronted with this God who works miracles. And think about it in the wilderness. He gave them manna, bread every day. I would like to just go up and pick bread out of the ground and not have to go grocery shopping. That's really the only shopping I do. I'm not a shopper, which my husband is very blessed. that I don't really shop. He bought me a gift card to JCPenney's. It took me over a year to ever use it because I'm not a shopper. But grocery shopping, I have to do. But think about that. If every day I could go out and just pick up, that God would drop it there in my my yard, the food that I'm going to eat, how awesome that would be. And when they got tired of that, what did he do? He sent them quail, meat to eat. He gave them water out of a rock. I mean, do do you remember these things? These are not just stories. These are miracles that God performed. And he sustained them so that their clothes and shoes did not wear out. That I I would like. I mean, I have clothes that are 20, 30 years old, but some I had to finally get rid of because they did wear out. (laughs) They were favorite. But think about that. 40 years and your clothes are still the same. He made the walls of Jericho fall down by people just marching around it and shouting and blowing the shofar out. How awesome is that? Oh, guys, you're a hard crowd this morning. He caused the sun and moon to stand still. He caused that little flask of oil to fill up jar after jar after jar after jar of oil for that widow woman. A God of miracles. When they threw the dead man into the grave of Elijah, what happened? The man came to life. He's a miracle-working God. And it continues in the new covenant. Not just the healing, but think about it. The first miracle that Yeshua did, he turned the water into wine. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He took a little boy's lunch and fed over 5,000 people. You ever nervous when you're having company come over? Am I going to have enough food? Well, think about the God who took that little boy's lunch and fed 5,000 people. He spoke, and the sea stood still in the midst of the storm that the disciples found themselves in. And immediately their boat was taken over to the shore. He walked on water. 
This is the God that we are to believe in, a God of miracles. The writer of the book of Acts recalls the life of Yeshua with these words. God anointed Yeshua from Nazareth with the Ruach HaKodesh and with power. And Yeshua went about doing good and healing all the people oppressed by the adversary because God was with him. And Kepha says this of Yeshua, men of Israel, listen to this. Yeshua from Nazareth was a man demonstrated to you to have been from God by the powerful works, the miracles and signs that God performed through him in your presence. You yourselves know this. These miracles and signs didn't stop with Yeshua. He was a miracle-working Messiah. He worked miracles wherever he went. And we were talking with our children about this, and my husband said, or maybe it was in the meeting with Evan and Rena, that think about it, we are told that there could be books and books and books written about everything that Yeshua did. In other words, what we have in the New Covenant, in those four Bessar wrote, are just a taste of what Yeshua did. Volumes could be written of the miracles and the healings that he did. And they continued with the Talmudim. In Acts chapter 2, verse 43, we see everyone was filled with awe And many miracles and signs took place through the emissaries, through Yeshua's followers. He is still a God who works miracles and signs and wonders, and he wants that power to work through you and me. Yeshua says in Yochanan chapter 14, I tell you that whoever trusts in me will also do the works I do. Indeed, he will do greater ones because I am going to the Father. In fact, whatever you ask for in my name, I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me for something in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commands. You hear what Yeshua is saying? I tell you, whoever trusts, believes in me, will do the works I do. In fact, he will do greater ones. Who is the God that you believe in? Is this the God that you believe in? Then you and I can do miracles greater. But Rabbi Carol, I'm not seeing it yet. You're right, but we are going to. And this is what God wants to encourage us in this day, in this hour, that he wants us to make a difference in the world. It's not religion that the world needs, okay? It's not another program that the world needs. But the world needs to encounter the living God of Israel, the God of the Bible, who has not changed and will never change, who heals, who works miracles and signs and wonders, and he wants to demonstrate that in their lives and in your life. And whatever you are facing, whatever impossible situation you may feel, God is the God of impossibilities. I've been trying to mail out a word for the week on Mondays. So if you're not getting that, make sure we have the right email and then check your spam folder. It should have my return address. So I use an online program, but it's my return address, ccalise at bethemanuel.com. So one of the recent words I sent out was based on this verse and this concept. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You may be facing an impossible situation where man gives you no hope. And in the natural, you see no solution and no way to change that situation. 
Think about it, that widow who needed all that oil because the creditors were coming to take her sons away. And Elijah said to her, what do you have? I have this little flask of oil. That's all I need, he said. Give me some jars and take that oil and those jars and go in that room and start filling them up. And she took them and she's called and they're filling them up and filling them up. And that oil wants to keep coming, but she ran out of jars. An impossible situation. How could that little oil meet the need that she had to save her sons from the creditors. God took that oil, and he performed a miracle. And she sold all those jars and had enough to pay the creditors and, and, and much, much more because he always does exceedingly abundantly beyond what we ask or imagine. Nothing is too difficult for him. I want to tell you that there's nothing, absolutely nothing, that Adonai cannot do in your life or mine. I don't care how bleak it looks. Lazarus was in the tomb for several days. You can't get any more bleak than that. Yeshua came, said, roll the the stone away. He's going to stink. By now, Yeshua says, do it. And he called out, Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth. If God can raise someone from the dead, do you think that your situation is more difficult for him? Absolutely nothing is difficult for God. We need to believe that he is the God of the impossible. Say to your neighbor, all things are possible. Amen. All things are possible because he is the God of the impossible. I want to tell you that signs, wonders, miracles, healings, and all the impossibles should be things that we are seeing in our lives on a regular basis. However, I'm not stupid and I'm not delirious. The reality is often that's not our experience. So what's the key to this? My second point, staying connected to Adonai, and by this I mean have a vibrant living relationship with him. You see, it's easy to be religious, but you cannot fake the power of God. Okay? So if you have a dead person that you want to speak to life, you're not going to fake it. Either they're going to come to life or they're not. But being religious, we can fake. We can come in and put our hand up in the air. We can sing the songs. Maybe even get up and dance with Rabbi Carol. Right? The passage I read earlier from Yochanan, I want you to listen to the verses preceding it where Yeshua talks about his relationship with his heavenly Father. Don't you believe that I am united with the Father and the Father united with me? What I am telling you, I'm not saying on my own initiative. The Father living in me is doing his own works. Trust me that I am united with the Father and the Father united with me. But if you can't, then trust because of the works themselves. He was telling his Talmudim, I am connected to the Father. We are united. He did nothing without hearing from Hashem. The men and women in the Bible were truly connected to God as well. He wasn't just a part of their lives. He was their lives. Yes, I can assure you they had families. 
They had jobs. They had responsibilities. But that connection to God, that relationship was the primary goal in their lives. A couple of weeks ago, I sent out another word for the week in which I shared about the book that Rabbi Michael and I read recently. And in it, I talked about <coughs> this power of God being manifested in that first century congregation. But if you read it, you remember I shared the key to that power being active in their lives was that they lived in the presence of God. They maintained a vibrant living relationship with Hashem. Yeshua puts it this way in Yochanan chapter 15. Stay united with me as I will with you. Do you hear what he's saying? I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay connected. So if the connection is severed, is, is Yeshua the one who uh, severed it? Just saying. He's saying, you stay connected to me because I'm going to do my part to stay connected to you. For just as a branch can't put forth fruit by itself apart from the vine, so you can't bear fruit apart from me. In other words, signs, wonder, miracles, and healings are not going to happen if we are not connected in a vibrant, vital relationship with the creator of the universe through Yeshua, the Messiah. Can't get around it, friends. It's a challenging word. It's a challenging word to me. And my husband, God has been challenging us for about a month or so in these areas. But it's a good word because I can do something about it. And you can do something about it. I can reconnect or connect more in that relationship so that the fruit will come. So how much do you or I want of God? Often we marginalize him. We want him in our lives, but on our own terms. So I've been reading several articles, and in this article, this is a quote from this man, Wilbur Reese. It says, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, but not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to be, buy three pounds of God, please. Often, friends, this is the way we approach God. We know enough to know that we don't want to do life without him, but we don't want to go overboard with this spiritual stuff. So, God, give me this amount. Don't wake me up in the middle of the night. That's too much of you, right? Don't ask me to step out. In that. That's a little bit too much. But give me just this fit right here into this area of my life. A.W. Tozer puts it this way. Before we can be filled with the Ruach, the desire to be filled must be all-consuming. It must be for the time the biggest thing in life, so acute so intrusive as to crowd out everything else. The degree of fullness in any life accords perfectly with the intensity of true desire. We have as much of God as we actually want.
Rabbi Michael and I have been praying this past month, month and a half, asking God to show us personally anything in our lives that hinder us from truly connecting to him. And we are crying out for more of his presence in our lives and in your lives and in this congregation. And when I say that, it doesn't mean that I don't love God or my husband doesn't love God or that you don't love him or that I've not experienced or you've not experienced his goodness and mercy. But we recognize as we have been challenged through reading the book of Acts that something is missing in our lives. And God does not change. So we know it's not God who is at issue. He says, I do not change. I am the same today, yesterday, and forever. So we're not seeing his power. We're not seeing the signs and wonders. And those are not our goal. But our goal is to know him more. That that vibrancy, that connection to him would be so, so tight. And understanding that from that vibrant relationship, the fruit is going to be the signs. Because that's what Yeshua says. Apart from me, there will be no fruit. There will be no healings. There will be no miracles, signs and wonders without you staying vitally connected to me. That intimacy gives birth to the power of God. John Piper says, if we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because we have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because we have nibbled so long at the table of the world, our soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great. When you have tasted of the manifest presence of God, you know nothing else can satisfy. But when you haven't tasted, when you've been religious and you're loving God and he's a part of your life, but again, comfortable part of your life, you can't imagine that, oh, there has to be more because uh, that means I might have to shift or change. And you can't figure out how, hmm, I don't know. But it's because you've nibbled long at the table of the world instead of pressing into his presence. Like the psalmist, we need to say, oh, God, you are my God. I will seek you eagerly. My heart thirsts, God. My heart thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a land parched and exhausted where no water is to be found. That's what God is looking for in this day and hour, that he would hear from you and me, God, I am hungry, I am thirsty for more of you. We need to understand the imagery here at the beginning of this psalm. It says that David is in the desert of Yehuda. There's no water in the desert. And the longer you stay in the desert, the more you want that water. So that your body begins to long and ache for refreshing water. 
In fact, it becomes the only thing you can think about is finding water. I remember when we were in Israel, that was during the month of June and July, and we went up on Masada, and I think it was like 120 degrees in the shade. And all anybody wanted was some water to drink. Man, you were like, okay, where's the water at? Where's the water? Because you knew that you needed it. But when we stuff ourselves with other things, sometimes we don't realize how thirsty we are, how dehydrated we have become. I only drink water. I don't drink soda juices too much. Well, orange juice occasionally, but I don't drink coffee or any of those other things. But I have to confess, I have to be conscious because I can go throughout the day and just not drink, not because I don't want to, but that's just my tendency. And I remember when I lived on the kibbutz in Israel that whenever I come in from working, especially if I'd worked outside, like in the apple orchard or something, I remember one friend of mine would sit across the table and she, I get so concerned when I see you drinking water like that, Carol, because I know that you have not had enough. But there came a point where I started because my body was dehydrated and in need of that water. But unfortunately, sometimes spiritually, we don't get it that we're dehydrated. So what do we do? Cry out to God. God, show me. Show me my need. God, when I have no desire for seeking you, change that. Friends, let's not be content with mediocrity in our relationship with Adonai. I get it. I get it. Our schedules are busy. I've been there. And I'm still there. Every season of my life has had its challenges in maintaining my devotions. I homeschooled my children. And I know everyone thought, oh, when homeschool was over, Rabbi Carol, you're going to have a lot of free time. Sorry, that's not true. I'm a college counselor now. <laughs> I'm the writing lab that they bring their papers to. Can you review this, Mom, just to check the grammar and the, you know, the flow of things? And they do their own work, but they do come for me to, you know, to proofread. And, and sometimes my responsibilities that are varied and many, my to-do list, which I sometimes never look at, just gets longer and longer. In the midst of that, I can skip a devotion. From having homeschool children to little kids to college-age kids. But I've renewed my passion and in disciplining myself to seek him. I'm a morning person. I love to get up and have devotions in the morning, that's how it's always been. That's my life. My whole family are early risers. But when I have to rise early because my kids have early classes and then I'm helping them to get ready, etc., sometimes that goes by and I just don't get time to sit down. Because they don't have their own cars yet, so they have to be driven to college. So sometimes when that happens, because, again, I'm renewing this commitment, I'll say to my husband, after dinner, I'm going upstairs. I didn't get to have devotions this morning with everything with the kids, so I'm going to go up. 
Why? Because I see where my relationship was suffering. Not that I didn't love God, but I wasn't making that connection. And was saying, okay, it's not a big deal. You know, I got busy with the kids. I understand we don't always feel like praying and pressing in for breakthrough and release in our lives and in this community and in this world. But pressing into his presence in prayer is where breakthrough is going to come. I get it. Who wants to stay for another hour to pray on Shabbat? I get it. You don't want to do it. My family packs our lunch. Little brown bag. Actually, we have a little bag with it says Nosh and little smiley faces, plastic bags. <laughs> Bring a lunch and eat it with us up on the mezzanine and stay for prayer. No prayer today, though, because of the bagel of it. Oh, I have kids. Oh, Rabbi Carol, you don't know how it is with kids in the prayer meeting. Oh, yeah, I do. My kids are downstairs, so I can talk about them freely, just don't tell you. My kids are not saints. My kids grew up being taken to one meeting after another. When they were younger, we went to a lot of meetings, I mean spiritual meetings and services. If it was a business meeting, because we had those, they could sit and a lot of times they did homework. They could color, do whatever they wanted. If it was a prayer meeting, if it was a worship service, that stuff goes up. We're here to seek God. The best thing you can do for your child is teach them to seek God's presence. That's not automatic with my kids. Not at all. In fact, I can remember a time we're sitting in a meeting, and my son was a little restless, and my husband, God bless his soul, reached over and pinched him. Okay, now I had to grab him and run out of the room because not only was he just restless, but he's ready to scream his head off because dad just pinched him. So I took discipline with our children. And I can remember after years, and these spiritual leaders saw my kids. I mean, they, they saw me pregnant with the Abigail, so they, they know her from the womb, commenting on how our children were when it came around spiritual things, it's because we took the time to discipline them and encourage them. I encourage when our children are here in the service. Children do not bother us. We don't get, you know, rustled by a little baby making a noise in the sanctuary. I know some leaders do. It's not ours. This is all free. It's not even part of my notes, but like some parents need to hear this, I guess. My husband and I decided the best thing that we could ever teach our children is to have a vibrant relationship with God. They're going to do all right in life and college and things. They're good students. They study a lot. Like they only ever do dishes anymore. I can't make them do dishes because they have so much homework. So I'm like, okay, I'll do dishes now until break. When break comes, then get back to dishes. But we always said to them, it doesn't matter what you choose to do in life. The most important thing is your relationship with God, seeking him. And parents, that's the best thing that you could ever, ever, ever instill in your child. 
It's not how many soccer games you can take them to, because we'll sacrifice for that. I'm sorry, this is just going here. Didn't mean to. I don't mean to be stepping on toes, but I want to tell you, we have history makers among our children, children that God wants to use to transform this world, and you're more concerned about getting them to a soccer game than bringing them to a prayer meeting. Friends, this should not be so. Oh, they won't sit still in the prayer meeting. Oh, yes, they will. You get them involved, and you get them to be there. It takes effort on your part, though. But that's our job, right? To train our children in the way we should go. And I love it when I see, and we do have parents who bring, and I see these children. We, you know, God is leading us right now to pray through different topics, and I see those little kids with their parents saying, okay, this is what we're praying for, and they pray for that. It's in their simple words, but they're praying. Those are history makers being trained in the things of God. But I get it. It's an hour, and my kids have been here all day, and Thursday night, oh, I've worked all day. Rabbi Carol, how can they come out Thursday night for an hour of prayer? That's where your passion is. It's where your passion is. It's because you want more of God. But sometimes we can't even seek him on our own. I don't feel like praying. I have nothing to pray for. Come to me. I will give you a lot to pray for. I will give you a lot to pray for. But it's not about praying just through a list. It's about connecting to the God of the universe to the God who loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you. It's to connect to him in a vibrant relationship so that you know his heart. We sang it. The more that I seek you, the more that I know you. I want to sit at your feet. I want to hear your heartbeat. When was the last time you heard the heart of God beat? When was the last time you heard his heartbeat? Do you know what's on the heart of God right now for your family? (coughs) Do you know what's on the heart of God for this nation? He wants to tell you. But we're not, we don't draw close enough. It's like in the marriage counseling. When the people come in and and they're expressing things and and it's like sometimes it's the first that they're hearing it because they've never ever told the other person that this is what they've never drawn close enough to express those things to each other. These first century believers connected to God. They had a vibrant living relationship with him. And friends, this is what I pray for you, for me, my husband, my children. I cry out, God, fill us with more of you. Where I am resistant, change my heart. Where I am busy, remind me that you are my priority. Help me to see all that this world has to offer can never satisfy like you do, God. 
I pray for you and for me. Open our eyes and our hearts to the reality that in your presence is truly where we belong. And God, let nothing be more important to me than you are. God, help us to really, really connect, to live in your presence. And as my son said in his Devar Torah, and he knew nothing of my message, to carry that presence into the world around us. Because the world needs change. Do you see that? The world needs change. And it's not going to be legislation. It's not going to be a particular government. I don't care whether you're Republican, Republican, Democrat, Independent, or anything else. It is God that's going to change this world. It is his power, and his power is always manifested through people, through people who are connected in a vibrant living relationship with him. I've said this so many times before, and I'm saying it again. I wish that I could put in your heart what I'm feeling right now of the heart of God to know you like you have never known him before. And when we are connected in that intimate relationship, his power will be available to us. I'm going to close by looking at the key to activating that power, and that is to act on our belief. In this book that we are reading, The Fire That Never Sleeps, by Dr. Michael Brown and John Kilpatrick, in one chapter, Dr. Brown says, as we step into our revolutionary role, we are forced to place a continual demand on our faith. You see, if we believe in the God of the Bible and if we are connected to him in a vibrant personal relationship, then our actions will demonstrate that. When we read the Hall of Faith in Messianic Jews, Hebrews chapter 11, we see all these men and women who are noted for their faith. There's one thing they had in common. They all acted on that faith, their belief in the God of the Bible. Michael and I were discussing this during the week, and we reflected on the building of this facilities. For those of you who are newer to the congregation within the last four or five years, you don't understand what this, it took to build this building. And, uh, but those who were here when that building started, you will remember that the congregation talked about a new building for years came up at every business meeting. Maybe we should get a new building. But it was only when we put a demand on our faith in God and we stepped out and said, okay, we're going to do something and build a new building or buy a new building wherever God leads us, putting a demand on our faith, did we get a building? And it's a nice building that we've been blessed with. We acted on our faith in the God of Israel that he was calling us to establish this building for the outpouring of his ruach on our Jewish people on Long Island and in the metropolitan area. And there were bumps along the way. There were times when we felt very, very, very alone. And often swayed between his this faith or stupidity in the midst of our actions of trying to get this building built. But God met us every step of the way. 
putting a demand on your faith. I believe in God, I believe in God, but you never do anything to show that you believe. Let's look at one verse in the book of Messianic Jews, chapter 11, verse 23, talking about the parents of Moshe. By believing, trusting, the parents of Moshe hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was a beautiful child, child, and they were not afraid of the king's degree. decree. We quickly read through these verses and overlook the significance of what Adonai is trying to tell us here. There was a demand put on their faith in God. They could no longer hide Moshe. So what were they going to do about it? His mother went into action and she made this small boat for him, placing him in the Nile River, trusting that Hashem would protect her son. Think about it. She was not putting him into that river to see her son die. Do you understand that? She saw many other little boys being killed by Pharaoh's officials. She was not going to let that happen to her son. That's why she hid him for three months. That's her faith that God had a purpose and a destiny on her son's life. But it came a point where she could no longer hide him. So she made that boat and she placed her son in it and placed him in the Nile River, not expecting him to die. That was her faith in action. But she did not know that Pharaoh's daughter was going to be there in the river. She did not know that Pharaoh's daughter would pick that basket up. She did not know that her son would grow up in the house of Pharaoh when she put that basket in the river. All she knew is that she had a relationship with the God of Israel and that he was a God who had made a promise to protect her son in her heart. That is what she had to felt. And acting on that, she put that baby in that basket in the water. And God met her faith. God met her faith. And Moshe Rebbeinu, the rest is history. Adonai is a God of miracles, signs, wonders, and healings, but he works through men and women like you and me. It starts by believing that he is that powerful God who works in signs and wonders, but also by maintaining that vibrant connection to his presence and then by acting on, in faith from our relationship with him. <clears throat> I'm thinking of the story of Kepha, whom Adonai used to heal the man at the gate beautiful in Acts chapter 3. He had to speak to that man and act on his faith that God was a God who healed. Cephas said, I don't have silver and I don't have gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of the Messiah, Yeshua of Nazareth, walk. So I said, walk. And taking hold of him by his right hand, just in case the man wasn't going to listen to him, Cephas was going to make sure this man got healed that day. He said to him, walk. The man didn't move quick enough for Cava. He reached down with his hand, and he lifted him up with his right hand. And instantly, his feet and ankles became strong. There was a demand on Cava's faith. 
He had seen Yeshua heal many people, and now he was in that position. Here was this beggar, this man who needed healing. What was Kepha going to do? He spoke, and authority walked. And then he grabbed him and pulled him up. Instantly, healing came into this man's body. This man had been there for 40 years. And he sprang up, stood, and began walking, and he entered the temple court with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And everyone saw him walking and praising God. As we were driving in today, my husband was telling me the story. It had to be of Tabitha when Kepha went in and was called in because she had died. All he says to her, get up. Right? We think we have to, you know, pray this long prayer and get up, walk. How could he do that? And what happened? She got up. Because he was connected. He had that vibrant relationship with God. And he believed in the God of the Bible. And he acted on that. Friends, people will never be healed if we do not lay our hands on them. I'm afraid. Activate your faith. Get connected to God, and fear will not be there. Well, what if they don't get healed? That's not your problem. You're called to just go and lay hands. But because you know of people who didn't get healed, you're afraid to go and pray. Friends, no one will get healed if we don't lay hands on them. Miracles will not happen if we do not act on our faith. Speak to the mountain in your life in faith, believing that God can remove that mountain. At the end of our corporate prayer times in this last month or so, we have been doing that. We have been making proclamations over our lives in this congregation, over your lives, even though you're not here, based on the promises of the word of God. Making proclamations. But with those proclamations, they need to come our action. So Kepha said, walk. But his action was to yank that man up. And as soon as he pulled him up, instantly his legs and ankles were healed. We have to carry his presence to the street. We need to speak the Bessarah, the good news of Yeshua the Messiah. And as we do, signs and wonders and miracles will follow. Mark sixteen twenty, And they went out and proclaimed everywhere the Lord working with them and confirming the message by the accompanying signs. The prayer of the first century Talmudim should be the prayer on our lips. And I close with this scripture this morning from Acts chapter 4. Enable your servants to speak your word. That's the word of Messiah, that there is no other name by which salvation can come. Okay, there's an, all roads do not lead to Rome. There's only one road that leads to eternal salvation, and that is Yeshua the Messiah. So they said, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness and then stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your servant Yeshua. But after they prayed, they acted on that prayer, believing that God will answer and let us pray and act on our prayers as well. Adonai has called us to make a difference in the world. It starts with us. We began this year with a series on transformation. We can only be transformed 
by entering a personal relationship with the creator of the universe through Yeshua the Messiah. That transformation, though, as I've said several times in the message, is not just for our personal benefit, but to enable us to make a difference in this world wherever God has placed us. We need to change the atmosphere of our lives, of our homes, our community, and this can only be done as we practice these vital behaviors that we see in this first century congregation. What the world needs to see is the reality of the God of the Bible, the God of the universe, the only one true God. There is no other God. Do you understand it? All the friends you know that have these false religions and all these gods, they are no gods. There is no one but him. And the world needs to see this God of the Bible. And they're going to see him through you and through me as we stay connected to him. When we speak our wor- or the words and the actions we do, So I encourage you and me to rise up as agents of change committed to making a difference in the world by first restoring our belief in the God of the Bible. Don't make God in your own image. Don't fit him into your box because of your feelings, your emotions, and your circumstances. Renewing our love and passion for him, crying out for more of his presence, and by releasing his power and presence in our daily life, through our actions as we step out, activating our faith. Friends, the world is ours to change. Let's stop sitting on the sidelines. Let's rise up and be history makers in this day, 2017, at Beth Emanuel, Long Island, New York, this greater metropolitan area. Let's pray. Stand to your feet. Yeshua, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for challenging us with your word today. And I thank you because I know your word brings change, God. When we embrace it and receive it, you say that your word will always accomplish what you sent it forth to do. And God, you sent this word forth because you want us to draw closer to you. You want us to believe in who you declare you are. And you want us to activate our faith so that we can make a difference in the world around us. So I pray for every single one of us here in the sanctuary today, to those listening by podcasts around the world, God, that we would grab hold of these truths. And Lord, I pray that in this week ahead, that there would begin to rise up in the hearts of everyone listening a holy discontent with where they're at in you, God. No matter how good their relationship is, God, that they would want more. God, that they would draw nearer to you, Lord, experiencing your presence, God, until your power flows through them to the world around them. God, I pray that you would shake us out of our apathy, out of our complacency. God, that you would just draw us closer to you. I thank you, Lord, that you called us to make a difference. God, I pray that you would find many, many in this congregation who are ready to pay the cost. 
that we would follow the examples of the first century believers, God, and the men and women in the Tanakh who dared to believe that you were the God of the impossible, who stayed connected to you and saw you move in power and might. And I thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. I'm going to close with the Ronic benediction. I'd like to invite you to please stay for our Oneg, our Bagel Oneg. It's an opportunity for a time of fellowship. And um, uh, we have lots of bagels and coffee and a happy birthday cake to celebrate the birthdays this month. So, uh, so please stay and, uh, and be a part of that. Don't make me run after you. Well, you know I will. Those who are laughing, they know I will do that. Yevarechecha Adonai v'yishmerecha, Yair Adonai panavelecha v'yasimlecha shalom. Yair Adonai panavelecha v'yasimlecha shalom. May God bless you and keep you. May you walk in his peace and in his joy. <clears throat> I pray in this week that your heart would be stirred to draw closer to him than ever before. In Yeshua's name, amen. Shabbat shalom.